ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank on Branham. It's Joe George behind the glass, the assistant to the regional manager in our very own Queen Bee. The Astros lost uh, baseball yesterday, coupled with the fact that the Rangers won baseball yesterday. The Astros are three and a half games back. Um, didn't score a ton of runs in yesterday's game, Blankers. Fromber gave up a couple of dongs, a little double-dong eighth inning. What did you make of the Astros' performance losing the opener in South Beach yesterday? Well, I think they blew a lot of opportunities. I, I think, was it 10, 10 left on base? They were 2 for 12 with runners in scoring position. They were hitting the ball hard. They were hitting the ball hard at people. Uh, I think I, thought, I just thought it was a missed opportunity. I, what, I really, what, what really kind of bothered me, and I'm interested in your thoughts, I, people were killing Fromber's performance. Like, for the most part, Against any other, you know, any other team when the offense is kind of clicking the way it's been clicking, that's good enough to win. I mean, aside for the double dong, you know, in the bottom of the eighth inning, he pitched really well. I mean, if you can hold a team like that to two runs and, and, and you know, be in the game, I still have a problem with some of the 0-2 pitches that he leaves really hittable. But overall, I don't think that that was a poor performance. I don't think that's something that he should be ripped for. It's just unfortunate you didn't get any offense. I didn't see a ton of that. Uh, Fromber was very harsh of his own performance, though. Fromber in the the post game scrum that they had in the clubhouse said that he pitched very poorly. Yeah, Fromber was very critical of the way that he pitched. I, I agree with you up until the eighth inning. I thought Fromber was fine. I thought Fromber looked pretty good. I thought Fromber in that game early in that game yesterday looked dominant. Yeah. quite frankly, I was like, man, this guy he's he's well, looking some like. Some people are Pete saying Fromber. since the no hitter, he hasn't been very good. I, I disagree with that. Yesterday there was a lot of good Fromber yeah. in yesterday's game up until the eighth inning. Even the two spot in the third, like there were some things. And that inning, they were kind of like, mm, okay. Uh, he gave up a double with two strikes. Your point, I think it was a one-two count. Yep. Martin Maldonado with maybe oh, his worst pass ball. pass ball of the year. And there's a lot to choose from because Martin Maldonado leads the world in pass balls the last two years. That situation where he, I mean, he was a swing and a miss, and the ball goes off his glove to the backstop runner at third. The run scores. I it could not so wait for that replay. I was maddening. like, please tell me that hit the bottom of the bat. Please tell me something threw it off kilter so he didn't catch a ball that was thrown directly to him that had no interference. And sure, as can be, when the replay came back, no bat to touching the ball right off the bottom of the mitt and scoots by, and then he finally shows you a little emotion when he goes to pick it up and, goes, and kind of punches it, it down. That was, was brutal. terrible. He, he leads baseball in pass balls. He led baseball in pass balls last year as well. It's um, And that was, I mean, that's not even a cross-up there either. Like, no. he's expecting that pitch. To, was it in the spot that he called for? No, no. I think he wanted it low and in, got it up and uh, up and away. But it was a swing and a miss. It was a strike. It hit him in the mitt. It's a catchable ball. I was I was ticked off with Martin Maldonado uh, whenever he did that. But for Fromber starting there, I thought Fromber was fine. That double dong, I saw some people were critical of Dusty Baker leaving Fromber in the eighth. I had no problem with, with Fromber being in the game in the eighth inning. His pitch count was low. You're trying to save the bullpen. Fromber's looking good. You're trying to – and it was a game. Like, it was still two to one. Like, you trust Fromber to get out of that inning with a goose egg, and you just – you're chasing a run in the ninth inning. So, I had zero issue. Zero. I don't even, I don't even understand. 
understand the logic of, of pulling Fromber after seven. I thought it was fine that Fromber was in the game. I agree with everything that Dusty did. I thought Fromber looked really good up until that eighth inning, and then he got got. He got got back-to-back homers, three were spot in the eighth, and then the game's over. Astros dropped right. the, uh, the opener. Pitch count was, fair, was decent going into I the I think eighth. it was in the 80s. Yeah. I, I had no problem with no any issue, of no issue, and I don't understand. You know the the the, the kind of hyper overreaction to be be able to say one that he shouldn't have pitched the eighth, or two that he hasn't been good since the no hitter. Because granted, the the game after the no hitter, yeah, I mean he was struggling with location too. But but you can't say what he did last night was a bad outing because if which some people wanted you to, to do, but if you had pulled him there. There should have been no qualms with the effort he gave you because it was a quality start plus. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. We already have a couple of textures saying that you should went to the bullpen there. That's that's revisionist history. I, I like to go back. I, I like to make that decision before every inning. Oftentimes, I'll tweet it. Yesterday, I wasn't watching the game live, though. I was catching up on the DVR. Oftentimes, I, I tweet in moments like that, I don't like this guy in this inning. I would give this guy another inning. So I, I'm big into the don't play the hindsight 2020 game. I think of what I would do in the moment. And look, sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm, I'm wrong. Uh, right. Uh, but I don't like the revisionist hindsight 2020. Okay. I would have had Fromber there in the eighth inning. No issue whatsoever with Fromber in the game. I thought Fromber pitched well, except for the eighth inning. Yeah. Uh, and Maldonado was atrocious. He's got, I mean, he's got brick hands. How do you lead the league in pass balls and hit a buck 70 and you're the everyday catcher? It's, Disgusted. It's just inexcusable the amount of laziness it appears when he's behind the plate. It just looks like he gets lackadaisical. And, and I know that he soaks up all the accolades from Dusty and everybody from his you know, the research that he does and how he, you know, just over scouts and does everything so that everybody has everything on the table. You still got to play the game and you still got to catch the baseball and throw the baseball. And some of his throws lately have been like sailing out into the outfield. And it just seems like overall there's there's just kind of a, a lackadaisical kind of energy to him when he's behind the plate. Like and everybody should should be giving things to him or should be gifted to him. It's annoying. Yeah, I mean, I think he tries. I just don't think he's good anymore, uh, quite honestly, whether it's behind the dish. Now, hidden intangibles, sure, he probably has that, I guess. Um, Also, Dusty keeps him in games when he should be pinch hitting for him. Uh, This is something that happened Sunday. We just didn't get to it yesterday, the good, bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, the exact same thing happened. The Astros were down 2 to nothing in the seventh inning against a right-handed pitcher. Maldonado comes to the plate. Why aren't you pinch hitting there? Like, if you're not going to play Yiner Diaz because Martin Maldonado needs to handle the starter for a majority, if not all, of the game, how do you keep Martin Maldonado in the game when you're trailing? It was 2 nothing yesterday. On Sunday, it was uh, they were down a run, run in the seventh run, yeah. inning. He was leading off the inning. Like, look. We're conceding a lot of things with Dusty Baker. Hey, Fromber wants to throw to Maldi. Justin Verlander wants to throw to Maldi. Christian Javier wants to throw to Maldi. Uh, maybe Jose Arquiti wants to throw to, to Maldonado. All of those guys use Martin Maldonado as their starting catcher. Like, we, we've we understood that. We, re, we concede that. I wouldn't say we respect it. We concede that. We know that's the way it's going to be. If Jordan Alvarez is DHing that day, Yiner can't play left field. Dusty refuses to play Yiner at first base. Like, we're conceding a lot of things. If you're trailing in the seventh inning or later, there's no reason that Martin Maldonado should be hitting with Yiner Diaz on the bench. I am sorry. If we're going to concede that Martin Maldonado is the you know designated catcher for all of the starting pitchers that we just named, then Maldonado can't be hitting when you're down two to nothing in the seventh inning. Maldonado on Sunday can't be leading off the seventh in- seventh inning down by a run when you have Yiner on the bench. The second thing too is we went back and forth a little bit on the lefty righty thing. Like I'm closer to your side than I was like two weeks ago. I'll still like understand if Yiner's not starting against left. 
lefties. Both of those situations, they were right-handed relievers in the seventh inning behind in a game. Why is Jiner on the bench and Maldonado's getting that at bat? It makes zero sense. The only thing that you can say, and again, it's a weak-ass excuse that gets older by the time that we have to use it, or I have to try and bring it up to try and justify to find some shred of why things are done. It's Pawpaw's belly, and Dusty's going to Dusty, and he's loyal to Maldi, and, and, and again... The other thing that I, I just I keep saying it because I don't think it resonates with anybody where it needs to resonate. You are not Dusty Baker managing a game with a ten to fifteen game lead in the in a division that you're going to cakewalk into the playoffs and then be able to set your rotation and go. You are in a in a catch up position. You are tr- every game matters, and it just feels like he's so kind of laissez faire, lackadaisical. Just nope. And Maldi's my guy, and I'm sticking with my guy. Okay, you get you're getting what you want, maybe based on the trade more than anything else, and the preferences of some of the pitchers, as you mentioned. But at the same time, it should not preclude you from making the appropriate change at the appropriate time when you have an opportunity to score in a, in a one-run game, score a much-needed run or two, and you know that this guy would rather give up a sacrifice bunt than actually try and swing sometimes, and it looks like he just he throws away at bats, and when he doesn't, they're not very good anyway because he can't catch up with much. And yeah, sure, occasionally he catches a fastball, where he could knock it out of the park, but overall, Only, usually against lefties, though. Yeah, like I mean, if you if you're gonna like if you're gonna be like we're gonna leave Maldonado down by a run in the seventh inning, okay, well you better be a left-handed pitcher because Maldonado does have better numbers against lefties than Yiner. It better be a lefty, but no way against a righty. You go to that seventh inning yesterday. Astros are down two nothing. Jeremy Pena leadoff single. Jake Myers hits a bullet to Brian De La Cruz, which yet that was the theme of the offense yesterday. The offense didn't like they they only scored one run. The offense was crushing the baseball around mm-hmm. the park. I can't be too mad at the offense. They were crushing the baseball all around that park. Jake Myers lines out. So runner at first, one out. Here comes Martin Maldonado to the plate. You're down two runs. Why is Yiner Diaz not pinch hitting in that spot? Why? Tell me. Give me any. I'll give you another reason. Any, why. any rationale? He's it makes sticking no with Fromber. So he, that's exactly yeah, why he's sticking that's with Fromber. Exactly Frommer, why? And he wants Maldi to stick with Fromber. So he, from the same way, you know, you should be worried about getting runs on the board. He's worried about making sure that Fromber is happy to make sure we keep runs off the board going forward. And that's the only reason why he stuck. In my opinion, that's the only reason why he stuck with Maldi. You know, and what it, that drove me crazy that he didn't use Yiner Diaz in that spot. He did the same thing on Sunday. The Astros are down by a run in the seventh inning. Maldonado let off the inning, and he didn't pinch it. And there's no guarantee that that spot's going to come up again. You go nine up, nine down, that spot never comes up again. So the saving Yiner Diaz for the ninth, it's possible that it does not happen. What also frustrated me with that Maldonado at bat in the seventh inning, he got ahead of the count 3-1 and probably swung at ball four. Like, dude, you're you're the 175 hitter. You don't have the, the like, the Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, where you can swing at a bad pitch 3-1. In fact, I wanted Martin Maldonado to take there. If Martin Maldonado got middle-middle fastball that he could handle and he took, I would be okay with that. I would be content with that because I did not want Martin Maldonado swinging the bat on a 3-1 count down by two runs with a runner at second, one out, when Yiner Diaz should have been in the box and not Martin Maldonado. Drove me crazy. Uh, I'll tell you this. The one thing that you touched on it, but the one thing that really drives me crazy more than anything else that or anything that I've already mentioned with him, he has no plate discipline. He has no ability to lay off pitches. He has no ability to have a concept of the strike zone to where he chases, and then he looks at the umpire and basically looks at the umpire to say, was that a strike? After he either got one called on him that was absolutely right down the chute, or he swung at one that was like at his nasal passages, and then look, was that a strike? Yeah, You know what? Yeah, most of them are either strikes and you're not swinging, or they're not strikes and you are swinging, but you have zero discipline at the plate, 
and concept of the strike zone, it drives me batty. Yeah. A lot of times they're, they're asking, like, is that as far out as you're going to go? Is that as far in as you're going to go? A lot of times whenever they're talking, it's not necessarily like arguing the strike call. But you're right. I mean, weird decision by Dusty. Weird by Martin Maldonado to probably swing at ball four in a spot like that. And then, of course, that second inning. The Astros had the bases loaded in the second inning yesterday with one out and couldn't score. That was uh, incredibly frustrating. The eighth inning, you had first and second, no outs, couldn't score. Uh, 713-780-3776. A busy show today. DJ enemy covers the Houston Texans for ESPN.com. He's going to be joining us in studio, and he's ripped, too, so you might want to watch on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN97. A former D1 athlete. He'll be joining us for the uh, last 30 minutes of the 12 o'clock hour. All things Texans. You have questions for DJ B and me. He's been out there for every single camp. You can send those in. 713-780-3776. We got the will of bits. We got to cash it or trash it. These Astros, three and a half back, 42 to play. On Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. What is the most frustrating part of the Astros right now? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 98. Two five. I got to tell you about HRP because they are awesome. HRP Human Resources and Payroll Cougar owned by Mike Holly, Chris Fisher over there as well. Great gentleman, uh, Mike Holly. Uh, we used to protect a Heisman Trophy winner. Now he wants to protect you and your business. HRP, members of the Cougar 100, nearly a decade now. They've, they've been dominating the Cougar 100. You've seen the HRP signage at the U of H games. You've seen their beautiful building off the Beltway. Business owners, let HRP help you. HR compliance, benefits administration, payroll, onboarding. HRP can help in any or all of those areas. There's no boxes with HRP. Doesn't matter how small, how big the job. HRP will completely customize a plan for what works for you, what works for your business. You have a problem, you have an issue, you want to take a little bit or a lot off your plate, HRP will find a way to help. They'll customize, create a way to help you. And they do it in a way that's unique. Technology meets service. They have the best technology. You'll love that. You can trust that. You'll be enamored by that. But you'll fall in love with their service. They're unlike other HR companies. Guaranteed fulfillment. You won't be talking to a stranger on a call board. You'll be talking to someone who knows your business needs. They're personal with your business. Give them a call at 281-880-6525 and let HRP customize a plan for you. 281-880-6525 or check them out at hrp.net. That's hrp.net. You're back where you belong, in the Veritex Community Bank Studios with the killer bees who won't sting you unless provoked. Here's Joel and Jeremy. Killer bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5, Dusty didn't want to switch catchers on Fromber. He was rolling. I disagree with Dusty. Yeah, I mean, Blankers, that's what Blankers said, and I agree 100%. That was Dusty's rationale. It's cool, though. It's cool. Like, go with a defensive personal catcher when you're down by two runs in the seventh inning. Makes tons of sense. Uh, Brandon T., we're used to seeing the Astros have multiple 7-10 game win streaks throughout the year, and that just isn't happening this year. It's probably because of the inconsistency offensively. Look, the Astros' offense was stinging the ball all over the park yesterday. It's hard to be critical of the offense, although, you know, you get the eighth inning, first and second, nobody out, you should score. Bases loaded, one out in the second, you should score. Truth is, they were 2-for-12 with runners in scoring position. Dusty says it all the time, right? Not exit velocity, exit hits. What was Jake's one situation? Did he have the bases loaded and one out? Bases loaded, one out in the second, struck out. Yeah. Against the left. That was disappointing. Yeah, that bothered me a lot. Yeah, I, I just I looked at it. And I just felt like from the minute that the at bat started, I was like, I just don't feel like he's got a shot here to even get a fly ball. I just don't have a lot of confidence in him. I know he heats up sometimes, 
but that one bothered me as well. Uh, 409, Josh. Dusty stuck with Yuli last season, and it paid off. I think that may have gone to his head with Maldi. There was never a great replacement for Yuli last year, even though I was trying to get that done. Uh, Mancini was supposed to be the guy and just didn't hit better than Yuli once right. they acquired Mancini. So Yuli kind of earned it. Uh, the Astros have a better option at the catcher position right now. So maybe you're on to something, 409, Josh. Maybe it's stubbornness. Who knows? Uh, 7470, Dusty treats Maldi how he should treat Chaz, and he treats Chaz how he should be treating Maldi. It's a great, great it analogy. It really is great. Spot on. And you know the other thing is? You do have someone that can that can fill in for Abreu now at first base in Singleton. Singleton, when I when I watch him more and more, his concept of the strike zone and his ability to lay off pitches, even against lefties, because I think he does struggle a little bit in terms of lefties that have a sweeper and lefties that that kind of start the ball uh, inside and starting and then fading to the outside. Mm-hmm. But he does recover enough, and his ability to lay off that outside corner, especially in two strike counts. It's very impressive to me, and so I feel better and better about him playing more and more. I, I know he's not getting the results that you'd like to see with more hits. He did have the two-home run game, but I, I feel like he's a decent replacement for Abreu right now. Yeah, I mean, you don't have a great option against lefties at first no. base right now. You have Singleton, a lefty. You have Yiner, who Dusty refuses to play at first base, who doesn't hit lefties well. Dubon might actually be the best option at first base right now against lefties, but... Uh, Singleton's plate appearances have been encouraging. Like he's hit some Dick Dick Willie on the Twitch says, uh, so can we be done with big bad John Singleton? He's a fat Maldi, cut the fat. John Singleton's walking. I think his on base percentage is still like close to four hundred on the year, which is nice. And then he's hitting line shots. Like his uh I don't want to bore you with details, his Babip is very low. Like no I think the major league average is like somewhere around three fifty ish. And Singleton's under 100 with a Babbitt, but batting average balls in play. So he's that tells you that he's hitting into some bad luck because he's he's smoking some lineouts right at a shortstop, right at a right fielder. So I've I've liked the plate appearances for Singleton. I think he's going to hit 200. I think he's going to have an on base percentage around 300, and I think he's going to hit some home runs. So I'm fine with Singleton right now. Uh, I wish it was Yiner, but again, we're conceding that Dusty refuses to play Yiner at defensive positions. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line. Rob, you're in the Hi, with the Killer Bees. What's up, Rob? Hey, guys. Just had a couple comments for all the, the Maldonado lovers. First of all, if Dusty is supposed to be his Hall of Fame manager, I don't understand why he doesn't have the guts to look at Fromber and look at Verlander and say, guys, Maldonado is just hurting the team. You're going to have to suck it up and, and deal with Diaz. He doesn't have the guts to do it or he won't do it. I don't understand that. And and all, all Maldonado lovers have got to – admit that they're wrong simply because every time Maldonado gets a hit, a simple single, or, or heaven forbid he does something better than that, everybody runs to Twitter and goes, see, I told you Maldonado could hit. We don't do that for anybody else. We don't run to Twitter every time Kyle Tucker rolls a ball through the infield for a single. <laughs> and that right there shows you that Maldonado should not be, not be in the lineup when it's a surprise every time he gets on base. Appreciate it, Rob. It is weird the like the divisiveness is that the catcher position currently is for the Astros. It's like, hey, pull for both guys. Like it's weird. Like the Yiner only fans are rooting for Maldi to suck. The the Maldi only fans want Yiner to suck. It's like, frankly, I want them both to be good. But let's be realistic. Which one gives you a better chance to hit? And to Rob's point, like Dusty, Hall of Fame manager, needs to tell Fromber, needs to tell Verlander, hey, Yiner's your catcher. I would love that, Rob. I'm taking baby steps right now. Like, I'll concede that Maldi's going to be their starting catcher. I, baby steps here, Rob. But if you're trailing late in the game in the seventh inning, can you please pinch hit for Marty Maldi? That's all I want right now. That's all I want yeah, right now. I, I would rather have him cater to the aces of the staff. Fromber and Verlander at the top of the rotation. 
But I still think that Yiner has caught the other guys as much or more to where I, I just feel like he deserves that opportunity, especially until you can get into more of a position of strength because – you know, you dropped another game last night, and and you know the, the 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 distance between you and the Rangers is widening, and you've got to pay attention to that as well, and you've got to put runs on the board. And yeah, it's great to say you hit the ball hard a lot last night, which they did, but they didn't get any production, and they lost another game. And, and I believe you got to put a better offensive lineup out there, and that's why I believe Yiner should be playing every day. Yeah, and and I think that you like you said you start there, but at the same time, Malty just can't think that you know the guys have my back. I deserve to be playing well your performance both offensively and defensively doesn't say that you deserve to be playing every day or the majority of the time behind the plate. Texture um, 4123, besides the two home runs, Singleton has been dog poop. It's not true. I mean, he's, he's, his batting average isn't great, but he's hitting rockets at people. And his on-base percentage is nearly 35%. And he's drawn some which walks. Is, yeah. I and mean, he's got a good idea at the plate. That's that's the thing. Like, yeah, he's not getting the hits because he's hitting lineouts, but he's getting on base and he's hit a couple of tanks. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Back out to the HRP listener line. Willie, you're in the hive with the killer bees. What's going on, Willie? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Always. Um, all of those men left on base. All those bad at bats. Alex had one first and second. Nobody out. He hit the ball at third base. Singleton hit the ball to left field first and second. One out, Pena hit a double play. All that happened, and I turn on the radio what I hear. What a no-hitting catcher that cost him in the game. Come on, Wayne. Willie, we brought up those yeah, things. Willie, Willie, we brought up those things. Yep. We said the second inning with the bases loaded one out, it was a disappointing effort by Jake Myers. We said first and second with nobody out in the eighth inning, you got to score. You're right, we didn't bring up the Jeremy Pena double play ball. We should have brought up the Jeremy Pena double play ball. We hit on all those things. But you can't ignore that in the seventh inning when you're down by two runs, your 175 hitting catcher is going to bat because Fromber is going to stay in the game in the eighth inning in a game that he trails by two. Like, both things exist. You're right, Willie. Those things should be topics of conversation. We did hit on Omar most every single one of those things. But Maldonado hitting in his for, for himself in the seventh. He didn't get walk in the seventh. No, he sure didn't. He, he popped up. He was out. Like in the se- he walked in the game, you're right, but he didn't walk in the situation that we're talking about. And against, and against a right-handed pitcher in that spot, and, down by two, tying run coming to the plate. Do you want Maldonado or do you want Yiner, Willie? Lefty or righty? It was a righty you pitching in the seventh. All right, Willie. Appreciate Willie, the call. We'll wait. Appreciate the, the call, thing. Willie. The other thing was, do you think that if you looked at the dugout and you looked at Stottlemyre, and Stottlemyre is looking out at his pitcher and just he cannot hide his emotion of how ticked off he was that you walked a guy that's as bad at the plate as as Maldi is. Like, he was irate. And then after that, he gave up a single, and it had the potential to be an inning where they might give up a run, and he finally had to go out to the mound, and he was livid because he started the whole thing by walking a guy that no team should ever walk in Martin Maldonado. He is hot garbage yeah. at the plate. Yeah, that's I mean, the spot where you pinch hit. There's no doubt about it. 713-780-3776-5856. Diaz doesn't hold the target long enough. He drops his glove during the pitch. Not sure if Maldi does it. You're, you're right, 5-8-5-6. Yiner's not a good framer. He's one of the worst in the league. So is Martin Maldonado, though. Maldonado's better, slightly better framing than Yiner as they have tools that measure this. Now, I have seen improvements from Yiner. I do think that Yiner's getting better because there, there are times when Yiner, like, there's a pitcher that's dotting up a strike on the outside corner that's just barely a strike, and Yiner's acting like he's trying to turn a double play as a middle infielder. 
I noticed the last time he was behind the dish, he was sticking it. And that's the best way to frame. Just stick it. If you think it's a strike, stick it. Just just hold the glove there. Uh, 713-780-3776. The Texans have joint practices against Miami starting tomorrow. Pretty good chance there's going to be a fight, I think. Uh, DJ Enemy, who covers the Houston Texans for ESPN and ESPN.com, joins us in studio next. What do you want to ask DJ? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Beast on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, guys, it's football season. You know it. I know it. We can't wait for it. And the fact of the matter is there's no place to get excited about football season like the places that I tell you to go, mybookie.ag. You go to mybookie.ag, and you can live it up and live the high life, and there's all kinds of bonuses all the time for being a customer. You could be a new customer and get a startup bonus. You can get an existing customer bonus. There's all the different ways they take care of their customers, and it all starts with you going to mybookie.ag and just logging in or signing up and taking care of your business because the fact of the matter is they are going to take care of you. We know that you can also bet on football and soccer and all the different sports that are going on, golf, but the fact of the matter is it's different during football season. You know it, I know it, and we can't wait to talk about it. That's why when you're talking about it, Make the games more interesting by putting some money down on it. College football right around the corner, NFL already in preseason. You got to get your game space on and you got to get it ready to roll. It's not just fantasy football, it's betting on games and spreads and props and all the things that go with mybookie.ag. Go to mybookie.ag right now, set up an account or add some money to yours, reap the benefits of getting some bonuses, and let's all get ready for football season. Welcome back to the Killer Bees in the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Ah, hell yeah. It's Texans Talk with ESPN Texans reporter DJ Enemy. Brought to you by Houston Powder Coaters and Golden Nugget Lake Charles. DJ Enemy joining us uh, here in studio. Covers the Houston Texans for ESPN, ESPN.com. Uh, you can listen to the podcast that you have with Paul Gallant. Couldn't pick a better host. Huh? I got stuck with Pauly or... Well, Paul's my dog, but JG gave it to me. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't really pick. Sadly, I might have picked you. Oh, might have. I appreciate. I mean, it. I think from a taste perspective, you went from Pauly, which was questionable, to Joe, which is less than questionable. So, I think right off the top, we're going to have to get some validity for our listeners that your taste is only in those people. But football wise, <laughs> you got it going on. That, that that's fair. That's yeah. fair. You know, my 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 taste is. Unpredictable sometimes. I like it. Mine too. Like the way we like to <laughs> Maybe you. There's the listeners. There's a list we have Thursdays. Let's see if we can get you on it. Um, it's a bad take. <laughs> the, uh, the joint practices tomorrow with the Miami Dolphins. I, I've been scrolling through some Twitter. There's some there's some joint practices that are going on today, right. and I've seen scuffles. I think in every single one, yeah, yeah. the Texans have had scuffles in their regular practices the last two, and you had a head coach that didn't necessarily say it was a bad thing, right. which I think opened the Pandora's box. I think it opened the door of hey, let's scuffle a little bit. Our head coach kind of <laughs> likes it. Who is the most likely to get into a scuffle tomorrow with the Miami Dolphins if you had to handicap it? Uh, that's a good one. Um... We were actually talking about this on the beat at practice yesterday. Some people think Jalen Petrie's up there. He's, he's a dog. Yeah, because he, he, he talks a lot of smack. But his, his trash talking is more like, uh, I don't use the word undercover, but it's like more subtle. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, like if you throw a ball, a pass, and it's overthrown, he'd be like, no, sir, not here. Or he'd be like, tell Stingy, like, I need I need one. Then Stingy going there like, stop playing with him. Stop playing with him. You know, so it's, it's more subtle, not as direct. Um, But maybe Jimmy Ward. Yeah, the secondary because the Dolphins he, got some fights. He's, he's got, mixed he's, it up in the past. He's, he's yeah. been in a fight on that practice field yeah. before. <laughs> exactly. It wouldn't be the first time that he got into a fight at the right. practice field over at NRG. Right, or maybe one of the offensive linemen. You know, not one of, one of the defensive linemen. 
once they, you know, they might be kicking the Dolphins' offensive line, but and the oh. Dolphins', Dolphins offensive line might get a little agitated because, like, you know, I, reports have said that the Dolphins' offensive line has been kind of shaky in camp. So I think yeah. it's not good Texans, for Tua. The Texans' D line could give them some fits. This now week. we were talking about this last week. Jeremy and I were kicking it back and forth about the fact that. Everybody obviously over scrutinizes what happened with CJ in the first preseason right. game. But right. I was saying, I think for his development, it might be better to have ones against ones and these joint practices. And Jeremy said, obviously, you can't, he can't get hit. So that is a problem. But at least from a speed perspective and timing perspective, I would think one of the guys with the most to gain over these joint practices would be CJ Stroud understanding really solid ones coming at me defensively. Yeah, and you're going to go against a different type of defensive scheme. So you're going to have to, instead of, because after a while, CJ finally got a grip of what uh, D'Amico was doing defensively. That's why he looked better over these past few weeks. But now he's going to go against a completely different scheme um, by ran by Vic Vangio, who makes a lot of rookie quarterbacks look crazy. I mean, he's the first guy that got to a bench during his rookie season against Denver um, in 2020. I mean, I, and the list goes on and on about the quarterbacks that the Vicks has made look bad. So, you're right. Like it's going to be really good practice for CJ to go against that type of defensive scheme. And I mean, the defensive unit has some some good guys on there. Yeah. You know, the, uh, in the front seven, the secondary has Holland and have Howard at corner. So it's going to be really some really really good work. Um, it's going to be a good test to see where the offense stacks up from a skill player standpoint. I think offensive line, we're all pretty you know confident that the offensive line is going to be a plus this year. But now we'll be able to really see what the receivers look like against a different secondary. DJ Bianami joining us covers the Texans for ESPN. Speaking of the quarterback position, the Mm -hmm. Texans are the only team that took a rookie quarterback in the first round that haven't named them a starter. Right. Carolina did it a couple weeks ago with Bryce. Earlier this morning, the Mm -hmm. Colts did it with Anthony Richardson. D'Amico not ready to name a starter yet. He's running with the ones. Started preseason week number one. I'm not sure I remember a rookie starting preseason week number one and then not starting regular season week number one. This isn't a real competition, is it? Nah, not really. I mean, because since, I want to say, like, after, like, the second or third day of padded practices, CJ's been running with the ones ever since, you know. And I think even though CJ struggled a little bit in that preseason game, the fact that he got two series and that was it, that was kind of like D'Amico saying, like, all right, no, you're the starter. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want one, we don't want you to get hurt out right. there with the backup off of the lineman. But you're mainly the starter because that's what usually head coaches do with their starting quarterbacks for the first preseason game. One, two, two series, get them up out of there, maybe three. We started with Bryce. We started with Anthony Richardson. Um, I mean, Russ kind of went a little bit longer than 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 usual. Russ in Denver, who went four, but um, Sean said they only went four yesterday because he they wanted to get a good taste in their mouth, yeah. right? Because they hadn't scored. So the fact that CJ got only two series kind of shows that he's basically the starter. I'm curious from the from the perspective when you mentioned Vic Fangio too, and, and Joe knows him from Chicago, and we had talked about this last week. I'm curious when we say what I was looking forward to, which is the inner squads so that you have that defense against him. Mm-hmm. But you're also trying to boost the confidence of a rookie quarterback. Right. And if, you know, I, I was thinking D'Amico would go over to the Miami side because he knows Mike and those guys and say, hey, turn it up on him. I want to, but at a certain point, don't you also have to be worried about if you get his psyche flustered by seeing a whole bunch and it's overload of too much where he doesn't succeed? Well, if that's the case, then you drafted the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if week two, a preseason, your rookie quarterback's overwhelmed by what he's seeing, then you might have bigger, and his confidence starts to get shaken, you might have bigger problems on your hand, to be honest. So you're good with just telling Vic and those guys, turn absolutely. it up, let's see what he yeah, can do. Absolutely. I mean, you, you kind of want to know what you have in your guy anyway, mm-hmm. and it's not going to get easier once the 
season actually gets here and you're actually getting hit. I mean, week one, you're going against the Baltimore Ravens, who were a top five defensive unit after they got Raekwon Smith. So, like, it's not going to get any easier because, I mean, Miami's defense should be good on paper, but Baltimore should be great on paper. So, I mean, if this is going to shake you, then week one might be too much for you. So, But I don't think even if they turn it up on him and he struggles, it's going to shake his confidence. I don't really believe that rookie quarterbacks are supposed to be good their rookie year. Yeah, like you, you see flashes. You see, fla- oh, this guy's got the potential. Like right. Deshaun Watson, the last first-round rookie quarterback with the Texans, rookie year showed flashes, had some right. big games, and then got hurt. Right. Uh, but really across the league, rookie quarterbacks struggle. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's important to temper expectations to Absolutely. what to see from C.J. Stroud in year one. Absolutely. But what you've seen so far, you've been out there at all the camps, you've mm-hmm. been at the scrimmages, you, you saw preseason game number one uh, with C.J. Stroud playing two series, throwing four passes, where is he at right now in his development? I think he's at a good spot. Um, obviously, the preseason game, it was what it was. But it wasn't all on him. The pick, obviously, was. But his first completion, obviously, got it to Nico. Eight yards. And then the few plays after that, he was getting sacked. Under pressure. He was on pressure 60% of his job. The line was awful. Yeah. So <laughs> and that, that goes to show you why Nick and D'Amico invested heavily in the offensive line. They sent the three guys. you know, And they drafted um, – uh, the center in the second round, they traded up for him, so they understand the value of having good protection for a rookie quarterback. And back to your point, um, he's in a good spot mainly because each day you're seeing him get better, you're seeing him play with play faster. And again, like he's he's a pretty accurate quarterback. Like he can put the ball wherever you really need him to put it. And that's the biggest part for me with rookie quarterbacks: just can they flash? And he's flashed a lot of his accuracy. And he obviously has a he has a very good arm, yeah. so he can push the ball down the field. And he can make all the throws. So, you know, year one, first training camp. That's what I've been more looking for, like the talent that makes you go, okay, that's why he was taking number two overall, and I've seen that. So aside from the quarterback, we said one of the most looked at and talked about positions is wide receiver. Yeah. We saw what Tank could do, and it opened a lot of people's eyes in week one. But we know that Mechie was a guy that they went out and got, That aside from an unfortunate health issue, that we know that this guy was drafted to be a guy. Right. And then we saw the depth chart, and we were like, hmm. So when you see these receivers every single day and see the development and then see what Tank did in week one – does that mean he's taking? Is he taking a step above Mechie, or are they just are they easing Mechie back slowly? And how do you see that receiver position working out across the board? Yeah, I mean, right now the starters, the three starters from what I've seen consistently is Noah Brown, Robert Woods, and Nico. So Tank is pushing for sure for that starting gig. Um, who he'll take off the field, I'm not too sure. Mainly because for that starting role, mainly because Robert's really good at blocking. So is Noah Brown, and that's a very that's a key aspect that receivers have to have in this system. Where you and we're not talking about can you block a cornerback on the boundary? We're talking about can this the slot be able to get inside and block linebackers, yeah. block safeties, things of that nature. And obviously, Tank's a smaller guy, so I think that's probably like what's holding him back from like solidifying that starting role. But if I had to go based on all the receivers that are in that next tier trying to fight for a starting spot, I would say yeah, Tank has the upper edge on on everybody in that group. I mean, with Mechie, yeah, I think they're just working it back slowly, and I think they they've tempered their own expectations. Many because, again, the last time he played football was December 4th, 2021 yeah. against Georgia in the SEC Championship game. And obviously, you know, the unfortunate yeah. cancer situation, and thank God that he beat it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, throughout practices, it's mainly being tanked, the one pushing for a starting spot. DJ Enemy is our guest on the HRMP guest line. Speaking of the receivers, you know, one thing that uh, I, I, sometimes we don't bring up when we talk about receiver production, that's, that's right. been a topic of conversation because you don't know where it's going to come from. True. Like, is Robert Woods going to be a good veteran or is he gonna, just going to be a veteran in the room where he's not even playing a ton of snaps? Right. Uh, how, how much do they prioritize Noah Brown's blocking ability when they're trailing in a game? Things like that. Right. One of the things, too, that was kind of like, okay, an epiphany moment watching the preseason week one was that 
this is probably going to be an offense that runs a lot of 21 and 12 personnel, too. The receivers aren't going to be on the field a whole lot. You have a lot of decent receivers, maybe no great receivers, but some decent receivers and some with really good promise. I don't think that they're going to have a lot of receivers on the field at the same time. Yeah, I don't think we'll see a lot of uh, 11 throughout the year. We have three receivers. I think we'll see more, as you mentioned, 12, 21. I mean, again, coming from the San Francisco system, they run a lot of uh, 12 and 21 personnel. Um, Obviously, like, Miami has a fullback. New York has a fullback. The uh, Niners have a fullback, and obviously the Texans have a fullback. That's that's everybody in that tree. I th- think outside of maybe Matt Lafleur has a fullback on their roster. I have to double check with Matt Lafleur in Green Bay, but for the most part, everybody has a fullback of some sort. So yeah, you're right. I, when you have AJ Dillon, he can yeah, fill in. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, I'm a big Packer guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I watched AJ Dillon his freshman year. Kyle was at Louisville when he. Ran for like almost 300 yards, four touchdowns in 2017. Quadzilla can block a little. Bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah nah, he can he can block for sure. But yeah, no. So, so you'll see some 12. You'll see some 21. The, the issue with the 12 is I don't. They don't like their tight end room. Yeah, a little depth. That's what, it's scary because their second tight ends like. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's been a lot of injuries, and in, you know, I mean, because I know Brevin's been hurt. Um, obviously Dalton got hurt early, but he came back. So I mean, you've seen a lot of Shrek and. Um, Dalton, especially in that 12 personnel situation, 21, you see back in the backfield. So, yeah, I think we'll, we'll see a variation of all kinds of things. I think Miami was actually up there in terms of 12 usage, 12 personnel usage, even though they have Tyree Hill, they had Jalen Wall, they were still up there in 12 personnel uh, usage last year. I'm curious, when you mentioned that about the fullback and the San Francisco system and some of the other systems, and I'm curious with Slowick coming here and running the show for his first time, is the goal to run an offense similar to a Shanahan offense to where, for, especially for the first year for CJ, get it out of your hands quickly, get it in the, 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 the playmaker's hands, and kind of keep the ball moving with a lot of movement? Or it, are they going to kind of simplify it a little bit more as, as CJ kind of gets his feet wet and gets some experience behind center? I think I'm going to be closer to the first point that you made. Um, I think it's going to be trying to, you know, a lot of motion. Because when you run a lot of motion, things of that nature, that makes it easier for the quarterback because motion really, what it really does is give you to tell what the defense is doing. Some defensive units know how to, even with the motion, hide what they're doing on the back end. But you're most mainly doing motion to try to get, you know, that tell, which makes life easier for CJ. Um, so I always expect it to at least look some variation of the San Fran, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan system, but have its own Bobby Slowick wrinkles mm-hmm. at times. But the bases are going to be the bases. So, um that's why I think, but I, I do think since he's never called plays before, he'll be able to catch a lot of people off guard. You kind of saw that with Mike McDaniel because Mike McDaniel had never called plays for real. And then when he got in Miami, once Tool, when Tool was healthy, you know, he didn't get hurt until, like, you know, week four or whatever. And then when he came back, like, you saw the offense really rolling because, and I had a scout tell me it was easier because nobody really had an idea on his tendencies. And then you saw in December, the offense started to slow down. So I do think the fact that Bobby Slow hasn't called plays before, that's going to allow make things easier for CJ in the sense that people don't really tendency-wise don't know what he's trying to do in these certain situations. So they're on their heels instead of on yeah, their toes ready right, to go. Right, Got right, it. right, right, right. It'll be a lot more guessing of what we think they'll, he'll do versus we know based on this data that we've given, we've been given what he will do. DJ Bianami is going to be joining us until the top of the hour. You have some questions for DJ, your, your best source for what's happening at Texans camp right now. 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. Let's, i got to ask him about my guy, Case Keenum. What's going on with that? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.
Welcome back to the Killer Bees in the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Ah, hell yeah. It's Texans Talk with ESPN Texans reporter DJ Enemy. Brought to you by Houston Powder Coaters and Golden Nugget Lake Charles. Uh, DJ Enemy in studio, our HRP guest line. DJ's going to be on with us once a week. These decisions are above my pay grade. Every Joe knows week. these things. Every other week. Yeah. Okay, there we go. So I look forward to those conversations. If you want to just... Week. Blow the mold on. Come, come in whenever you want. Yeah, yeah. That's I'll, I'll just text. I'll just yeah, text just hit us up. Yo, Joe, I'm coming in. I can't believe you showed up, man. If I were you, I would have been, I would have been on the couch. Yeah. I had to show. I had to show for my guys. Joe, Aggie, Joe tried to make the trade. He wanted to be on the couch. He most, mostly is. Yeah. Uh, Aggie Matt, uh, would, he, would you rather be covering a different team? That's a good question. Um, so you, were a, you were a Jets fan growing up, or you covered the Jets? I just covered the Jets. Who was your team growing up? The Dolphins. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah, my best friend is a Jet fan, though. Okay. He makes me sick. Mine I, too. Yeah. Makes me sick. I called him yesterday after the, the uh It's not funny. After the Dalvin Cook uh signing, he was like I called him, he was like, Yo, yo, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, what's good? I'm like, All right, but I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm surprised you even responded. I didn't leave him on red. Yeah, no, I had you know, I, we we always we always poke fun at each other because we we actually went to again school together, so um, you know, when we were first met at that time. Patriots was just dominating the AFC East, so that's what we. we I'm sure, Paulie over. will remind you of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what um, what reporters, Houston media, do you mm-hmm. like talking to? Which ones do you not like talking to? I, I like talking to all of them. I know that's a that's a loaded but, question that's a, right there. But he answered but, it like a smart man. Yeah. No, no, but no, like I'm on, answering it honestly though. Everybody that go to that, talk, I talk to everybody at practice. So the people I talk to the most. Yeah, Sarge, we argue every day at practice. I was Shocker. out there. I was out there one day. <laughs> Shocker! I was out there one day. I can't remember what day it was, but you are you. You and Sarge were like, I can't. I, I think you are like like over my left shoulder. I'm I'm like you know glued in, dialed right. in, and yeah. y'all are, y'all are arguing about something. And you you were like, Sarge, shut up. <laughs> I was yeah, like, we, dang, DJ. We, the first time Sarge and I ever like interacted was at like you know the Texans do like a you know meet and greet before the season starts every year. So last year I met him. He said, "Man, I think the Arizona Cardinals are trying to set up Kyler Murray." And I asked when he, <laughs> we started debating. I'm like, "How? How does it make any sense?" And then from that day on to now, we always I, we I always debate. You no, know, you know, I remember I what it was. Sarge. I love Sarge, but I remember what it was. Like he he said something. And you told him you told him it was stupid. Okay. And Sarge is like, "Don't call my opinion stupid. You can disagree." Yeah, you can disagree. yeah. Don't he say lo- it's stupid. He loves he lo- saying he that. Lost his, he he lo- loves yeah, saying he's like little, little bit. He, he was like, you know, <laughs> um, it's my opinion. I just disagree. You know, it's my opinion. <laughs> That's what it we was. can agree to disagree. Yeah. He always he always yeah. says that now. I don't know why he always says that now, but whatever. Getting acclimated to the city and the team too, kind of what Jeremy said. I'll throw another question at you. You learn things as you go. Was it relieving to learn on social media that there was an air conditioned tent for practice? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because I'm sure you didn't know that beforehand until nah, it got out on nah, social media. Yeah, nah. That, I, I'm there every day. If the Texans aren't in team or doing one-on-ones, I'm inside that tent. I'm not going to just sweat to watch special teams. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm there, were, there were guys, DJ, that didn't know that there was a tent with air conditioning, and he put it on social media. Well... I hope the general knows that there's air conditioning now. I, I'm sure he knows now because plenty of people remind him. <laughs> how come? Uh, how come cases in Braxton? That I, I have no idea. He's been back the last couple of days, so we'll see on uh, Wednesday. If he doesn't practice again, then we'll, we'll for sure ask Demico and try to get an answered. That I Sark tried to ask him, he ignored him. Yeah, I have no idea. What's, what, what's I saw him with on. a uh, a sleeve on his leg. Who case? Case because yeah, he about. wasn't practicing, but he signed autographs, and there was mm-hmm. pictures of him with a sleeve on his leg, and he doesn't usually wear sleeves. Right. I wonder if he's got some. Probably Old man knees or something. Probably because that's, that's that's exactly why they brought in EJ Perry to get those reps for the third. Because again, like 
you know, Casey's been taking all the rest with the third team offense. So it makes sense for them to bring in EJ. Um, so that lets you know that it's lingering. Something's, something's happening that's lingering just a little bit more than, than we, they want to let on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to take away a lot of big picture from week one of the, of the preseason. Mm-hmm. But we saw a defense that looked athletic, that yeah, was flying yeah. around, that right, was right. making plays, that looked totally different than what we've seen in the last couple of years. And Jeremy and I talked about the fact that we both agreed the defense is probably going to make the jump before the offense. But yeah, that absolutely. defense looked like it's ready to do some things with the kind of talent that D'Amico has to work with. Yeah, absolutely. As I, I've told a lot of people, the base for this defense league-wide is 16th. Like, that's mm-hmm. the floor. Like, they should be at the bare minimum a top 16 unit with the ceiling being top 10 unit from a scoring standpoint and a total yard standpoint. They have all the pieces the front is going to be so much better than last year because, again, you add in Will. Rankins. Will looks good. You got Rankins, yep. as you just mentioned. Obviously, Malik Collins. You have Gennard, who's starting now. And if he's healthy, we saw what he did in 2021. We had eight sacks in 12 games. And then you have Jerry Hughes coming off the bench where he can be, like, your situational pass rusher. So, like, they have depth there. And the secondary, secondary has – like, I knew it was going to be good, but they blew my mind away during camp. And, again, I can separate, like, whether a guy is, like, they're dominating because, like, the, the opposing side isn't that good. But, nah, they're they just – it don't matter who would have been out there. They would have been – they would have at bare minimum looked good because Stingley is taking that step. So has Steven. Seven, Steven Nelson looks like he's drank the fountain of youth out there sometimes. <laughs> got a contract to play yeah. for. <laughs> contract, yeah. You know, and he then got you, paid. you got Jimmy Ward has been looking good. You got uh, Jalen Petrie. So, that – Jalen Peach and Jimmy Ward should be a top five safety duo. Two, like, two, he just looks like he's a baller. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, just looks exactly. like he can play. Exactly, exactly. So, like, you have some, you have playmakers all over the defense. And again, last year, even though they allowed the six most rushing yards in NFL history for a single season, they kept their team in the majority of the games. We because the offense was was a snail show. Like, they just couldn't get You know, if you were an Orioles right announcer, now. you'd be suspended. Right? DJ. <laughs> DJ had that That's in the true. chamber ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's six you know, most ever. Like, yeah. he was ready to go yeah. with that. I've, Lucky I've, we're not the flagship. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've written a lot about that. So, you know, that's why I know that was the back off the top of my head. But they have all the pieces that you need to be a respectable unit. They have all the pieces to be yeah. a very good unit. Obviously, it's your one. So, I don't want to say they will be a top 10 unit. But if they were, like, 11th or 10th, in the NFL, I would not be shocked. And, and they added the play caller for the number one defense last year. Like right, that, that right. should matter. That should right. be something that's tangible. DJ Bianami covers the Texans for ESPN, joining us uh, in studio, HRP guest line. Uh, you might have answered the question, DJ. I was going to ask you the biggest camp surprise for you, something that, that's caught you off guard. Mm, the biggest camp surprise that's caught me off guard. Oh, the offensive line has no depth. Yeah, that's right. That's the biggest surprise for me. They have no, like, if Tunso gets hurt. Or Titus gets hurt, or Shaq gets hurt. Like there's like a like a legitimate drop off, right? Where cause we saw again that preseason game, CJ's running for his life. Some plays like yeah. Now there were some plays we held the ball a little longer than you would like, but there were also plays where by the time he got to the top of his drop, there was a guy in his face. So like that's probably the thing that surprised me the most was that they don't have like they can't afford injuries because if they afford you know one or two. And you're already dealing with something. Right. You're already dealing with something, right? Titus is hurt. Scott got hurt, even though I think Juice was going to eventually start anyway. But, again, like, if Juice would have got hurt, at least he would have had Scott. Because we know, you know, Scott isn't, like, a great player or anything like that, but he's a A respectable starter, you know, and he's been in this league and he knows this system a little bit. So, like, losing him, so if Juice gets hurt, now you're going to basically your third string center and then, obviously, you know, if your right guard is hurt, now you're going to whoever's going to be at that spot. 
And again, like, I was kind of surprised. I mean, George Fant, like he, I have respect for George Fant, but he, you know, it, I don't. Maybe he's he's getting reacclimated. It's been a while or whatever, but he hasn't looked great in camp either. So if that that kind of surprised me, I thought, okay, you know, if you got Fant as your, like your swing tackle. You should be good, but we saw in our preseason game, nah, not really. Well, and that's what we talked about too. We were talking about when when Quisenberry went down, and I said, I just I would be too concerned about Juice starting from day one to where I would be looking all over the league trying to find a veteran just to kind of buy some time. We know Juice is the heir apparent, right, but until right. he's totally ready to play, because you're trying to protect such a important piece in CJ, I just felt like they should be looking for another veteran to kind of fill a role until Juice is ready. Yeah, but. All in with they're rolling all in with Juice now. Juice, you know, Juice is going to be the starter at center. So hopefully that old line can stay healthy. They'll deal with some injuries, but hopefully they don't deal with too many. If you had to rank them like you did the defense, if you just rank the offensive line, all teams in the league where they sh- where they should be. If they're healthy, oh, top ten easy. Wow. Top ten easy. There you yeah, go. Without question, top ten easy. That offensive line when healthy, you know, you have arguably the best left tackle in the game. You have a top ten right tackle. You have a respectable right guard. And then obviously you have a talent. You have a talented interior duo with Kenya Green and Juice. They just both have to like you know kind of progress a little bit on the development. Juice, you know, he's a rookie, but you kind of want Kenya Green to take that that next step. Kind of wanna, yeah. yeah. Need ya. you. You need him to take yeah. that step. So, but but if he does, like Kenya Green takes that next step, we're talking about possibly have a top five offer. That's great. DJ enjoyed the visit. Look forward to doing this all year. You've been uh, very good on the beat, needed on the beat. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. You got it. DJ Enemy covers the Texans for ESPN and ESPN.com. The Houston Texans. What are the chances they're the most improved team in the NFL? Who else is in that category? It's Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.